0: Welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell.
1: All right, today is January 25th, 2023, and I'm Rick Morton. This is the Defender Podcast. Uh, really excited about today and the opportunity that we have on the defender podcast to um to bring in one of my favorite colleagues and and somebody that i'm uh, just incredibly excited as part of our team and, and a part of my team so i get to this is home cooking i get to i get to visit with one of the folks that's uh, that's a big part of uh my life and world here and and somebody that i can't wait to share with you so uh chelsea patterson Sobolik is our uh, director of policy and advocacy Prior to joining Lifeline, she was a part of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and Southern Baptist Convention where she was the Director of Policy. Um, She has served on Capitol Hill, uh, has been a voice in pro-life policies, domestic and international religious freedom, adoption, foster care. I could go on and on and on about Chelsea. She's she's an author. Uh, She's been published in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today, I mean it the, the the list is long and distinguished she is the author of one book Longing for Motherhood Holding on to the Hope Holding on to Hope in the Mission of Childlessness and has a forthcoming book that we just talked about that she just finished the manuscript on and so for those of us that have uh, that have been through that we're rejoicing with her that she handed it off to the editors and it's now somebody else's deal for a little bit um, But uh, and and Chelsea has a background educationally in international relations from Liberty University. She and her husband, Michael, live in Washington, and uh, we are just incredibly thrilled that she's a part of our team. And I can't wait for the conversation that we're going to have. But before we get there, we're going to talk to you about a really important resource, uh, the How to Fund Your Adoption eBook. And so one of the things Lifeline realizes is that adoption can be costly and that families um, uh, need help in order to many times be able to complete the adoption journey. And so uh, for those seeking to adopt in this new year, we've produced an ebook to help you to prepare financially for the journey that's ahead. It's filled with tips and resources and uh, contact information for grant organizations and all kinds of things that you can find helpful in your journey to, to help to provide financially for your adoption. To receive this free ebook, you can either see our show notes or go to lifelinechild.org backslash international dash adoption, lifelinechild.org backslash international dash adoption. If you go to that page, that's our main page for international adoption. Look for the link to download the ebook, how to fund your adoption. And we look forward to, to being able to share that resource with you. I get to bring in my friend and somebody that I can't wait for you to meet, Chelsea Sobel. Chelsea, welcome to the Defender Podcast.
2: Well, thank you for having me. And uh, the roles are reversed because I used to interview you when I worked at the URLC. So this feels (laughs) it feels weird to be on the other side, but I'm very. It really does. It's
1: it's funny. You know, I was I was thinking even you know, prospectively about um, us. Uh, sitting down for this interview we like I started reflecting we've known each other quite a while and yes, um,
2: yes.
1: and in a lot of different uh, you know a lot of different contexts of life and mm-hmm. all that sort of thing and uh, but i'm I'm just so thrilled that you're um, part of our team um, I hate that they don't have you to host a podcast anymore but you know what <laughs> I love the fact that uh, that you're part of our team and 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 helping us to to think um, broadly and deeply about policy and cultural engagement and Uh, and those things. And so, you know, maybe first thing, just kind of introduce yourself a little bit and just kind of um, help our audience a little bit to get to know um, a little bit of the person that we've all gotten to know.
2: Absolutely. Well, beyond my bio, um, like you said, my husband and I live and work in the Washington, D.C. area, and I've been here a decade now, which Time just flies i always say god has a sense of humor because i never planned to come to this area much less stay and here i am a decade later but i um have respected lifeline um like you were saying our paths have interacted for a, a, a many years uh respected lifeline for a long long time even before i joined staff um just because of what lifeline does but also My husband and I are in our own international adoption process right now through Lifeline. Um, But even more personal, um, I spent my whole career in some capacity working on child welfare policy, whether that was on Capitol Hill, um, at a nonprofit. Um, So I've, I've touched child welfare policy in a number of different areas. But another layer under that is these issues are very, very personal for me as well. Um, my husband and I are pursuing an adoption. But I was actually adopted um, internationally as a baby and grew up with all of my siblings being adopted. There's six of us, all international adoptees. Um, so adoption has been part of my world for my whole my whole life.
1: And you know that's one of the things that i that quite honestly has been, um, just a fun part of getting to know you and the depth of conversations that we've had and along the way and those things because of the perspective as as an adoptee um who is also passionate and thoughtful in you know in this area and and so um i you know i'm i'm just curious i think folks would love to know because mm-hmm. your story of your family i mean six siblings and you know your mom yes. and dad um, adopting is is pretty um you know, that's one of those stories that kind of fits in the pocket of a lot of the people that are listening to the podcast. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, what what led your parents ultimately to pursue adoption and kind of talk about what it was like to, you know, to grow up in, in that family?
2: Absolutely. So they actually were in a domestic adoption process. Um, they were in their mid-30s. This domestic adoption process um, was taking years and years and years and years, um, a pretty significant uh, amount of time. And one night, um, so I was born in Romania, Romania was communist until um, December of 1989 Um, and the dictator um, Nikolai Chautescu put put in place quite a lot of policies, but one of the policies that he enforced on his country was um, mandatory childbearing. So he was trying to compete with the populations of other we're Union countries, and there was a rule in Romania that said if you didn't have um, a child by a certain age, I think it was 25, but if you didn't have a child by a certain age, you'd be brought in by the government for questioning, given a little bit more time. And then if you still didn't procreate, uh, your family would be charged a celibacy tax. Um, what was also happening was it was a communist country. So people were standing in long food lines. They didn't have access to um, a lot of basic, um, necessities, they didn't have uh, freedom of religion, any of those, those things that we have in a democracy. Um, so all these children were born um, because families couldn't afford to pay a fine. All these children were born and placed into institutions. Um, so after um, the dictator was killed, um, the watching world went in and kind of saw the state of, of the country, but also saw um, the orphan crisis in Romania. And a lot of those those children who were in orphanages were economic orphans, meaning their parents um, were, were likely still living, but couldn't afford to, to care for them. So there was a 2020 documentary made on the Romanian orphans, and my parents sat down to watch it one night, mm-hmm. and the Lord impressed upon um, them that he was leading them to go adopt from Romania. Um, and this is... 33 years ago at this point 32 33 years ago um so they're on a plane traveled to romania they adopted uh myself and a little boy and we were so young we actually weren't in an orphanage and i'm mm. i'm very thankful for that uh we mm. our, your audience probably knows the brain science behind being in an institution but um was adopted my brother and i are not blood-related, biologically related, but we're 11 days apart, which meant we were essentially <laughs> raised as twins, which is super fun. And several years ago, so I used to work on Capitol Hill, and my boss was one of the co-chairs of the Adoption Caucus. And there was a group of people working in the child welfare, child protection space. We all went out to dinner and are we chatting um, and come to find out one of the people at uh, the dinner helped produce that documentary and it was just wow. the coolest, it was the wow. coolest moment. Um, and um, years ago, I got to travel to Haiti with Dr. Dana Johnson, who really pioneered a lot of um, the brain science behind being in an in institution and had spent a lot of time and, and work in Romania. So some really cool ways the word intersected my story with some people who had uh who didn't know but they had a hand in a story mm-hmm. um and then my parents adopted four uh children from Russia and i have a cousin who's adopted from Ukraine um so that part of the world is very near <laughs> and dear to to our parts um They kind
1: of have family. all of eastern europe covered <laughs> yes, is we have basically that. what we're saying right yeah <laughs> exactly exactly we, well and i i love i mean Part of what I love about your story is is just the the providential hand of God and the way that you see in the, you know in your mom and dad's life and in in the you know life of your siblings and your story and, and the way that the way that God you know worked and preserved and and created and has you know has moved you in places and and even those those fun grace moments that have kind of happened along the way where. Um, you know, you, you've been able to kind of peel back a few more layers of the story and and kind of learn some things. And I I think it, it, for those of us that this is part of our story um, it's, it's just incredibly affirming. And to say that God is, God is so much bigger and greater and, and at work Mm -hmm. um, and, and that we get focused in our own, you know, our own little worlds and our own little story. And, uh, but God is God is orchestrating and moving us to places and and so I just thanks for sharing that because I think I, I was gonna I was gonna tell you that you know typically the the way that this has gone in the past is is that you would interview me and I would cry now I'm interviewing <laughs> you and I'm probably gonna cry so
2: um,
1: because I I might I just, cry too we'll see <laughs> yeah you know just but just being overwhelmed by the goodness of God mm-hmm. to see. Um, you know the the way that the the Lord has moved, and and um, and now, you know, you and Michael are are in the process. And we were talking before we, you know, before we started rolling here that um, that you know, like you've taken some significant steps, and you're, you know, you're moving toward an adoption in India. And and so as, um, you know, as with with your story and kind of everything that the Lord's done to this point Um, talk a little bit about like, what are, what are your hopes and dreams and, and, and thoughts as, you know, as you're moving forward about, um, about the next chapter about, you know, about becoming a mom.
2: Oh, there's a lot. So we have been matched with a little boy in uh, Northern India and we'll hopefully get to bring him home uh, sometime this year. You know, it's so interesting. My husband does not have a background with adoption. Um, we we knew when we were dating, if we were going to build our family, it would be through adoption because of um, a medical diagnosis I'd receive. But even before I'd received that, um, obviously, adoption was a huge part of my story. Um, but it's really, really neat um, to know that there are parts of my story and our son's story that are going to be similar. We're Mm -hmm. both joining our family through international adoption. Um, of course there's some, there's going to be big differences. Um, but he's joining a family, um, that cares so deeply about, um, international adoption. And my husband and I have tools that, you know, didn't exist 30 years ago. We have trauma informed care and uh, resources and all those types of things. Um, but I think it's just really, really special that the Lord has, um, match us with this little boy that we have a name and a a face and we can we can pray for him um but again we're both joining our families the same the same way and i think that's really special to to have that in common and um i hope that that's meaningful to him Um, i think there will be things that he and i can relate on um you know with international adoption there are pieces of my story I don't have answers to and there's going to be pieces of his story. Um, and adoption always begins in loss. Um, so I'm hoping that I can steward his, his little heart with some of those, those questions and mysteries of his story. Um, but that he will have someone in his life who, who gets it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. It's, it's neat. And it's, and, and even the perspective, I think that, you know, that we do, we do understand more. Now we do Mm -hmm. have tools that we, you know, haven't previously had, but, but to also realize in the middle of this that his, his story is going to be his story and there are going to be some Mm -hmm. things that are going to be unique about, about him and where he's come from. And even how he, you know, how he relates to his own story. And Mm -hmm. um, I just, I love the way, you know, thoughtfully that you're just kind of processing through this idea that, um, part of our job as adoptive parents is to help our kids to steward their story well. Um, mm-hmm. And, and yeah. And, and so thanks, because that, that was a, that was a very, that was a very good way of, um, of saying that, um, yeah. which, I mean, good night. You're an author, right? Like um, <laughs> you've, you've written all these publications, like you, you should express yourself well, <laughs>
2: oh, Thank you. I
1: tease. <laughs> But I do I do want to talk about your book a little bit because I think mm-hmm. that's that's another important topic and I think for, for folks that are listening to us, um, you know, many of them come to you know to to the point of considering adoption um, in a story that involves um, infertility and I know you know that's mm-hmm. that's yeah. a part of of our story you know Denise and I have walked through that and have been really you know public about talking about mm-hmm. that you know that part of our our story um you wrote a whole book <laughs> kind of walking through you know walking through that journey and and so um there's been a a great deal of kind of transparency and and I think if if you were if you were able to sit down and you know grab a quick cup of coffee with somebody who is listening who's in the midst of kind of struggling through the journey through infertility and considering adoption and all that what what would be the important things that you might say to them?
2: There's so much. There's so much I would say. I, um, well, a little bit of, of my story. I found out when I was a freshman in college that I had a medical diagnosis that would prevent me from, from having kids. And most people walk through some type of childlessness in the context of a marriage, and I was single at 19. Um, so it's a very, very, very Formative experience for me, not only in my life, but my faith. Um, I'd grown up in a Christian home, had considered myself a Christian for a long time, but that was that was when I really wrestled through my my faith and kind of reread scripture in light of, of suffering. Um and I've been very intentional. I wrote Longing for Motherhood um, because I walked out of the doors of the doctor's office and into the doors of the the bookstore, and there just weren't that many books on the shelf that I could relate to. And I've tried to be very intentional with the language, um, the term "childless" instead of niching down," because it certainly incorporates the one in ten couples who struggle with infertility, the one in four pregnancies who end in miscarriage, but also um, women who have made an adoption plan and don't have their children because of that that choice that they've made for their child, single women who want to to be married and have, have children, and also women who have had abortions and don't have children because of those those um, decisions that they've made. So I really wanted to kind of incorporate a lot of different stories. But I think the thing I would say the most, when I first started telling people I couldn't have children, so many well-meaning people would say, well, you don't know, or just pray harder, or this or that, or I, I'm sure people have said, Said this uh, to you or lots of the listeners. Well, we adopted and then we got pregnant. So, which that one really irked me. But, but they would try to offer false hope, and it was well-meaning. And I, you know, don't begrudge anyone. Um, I think sometimes when we're we encounter suffering, we want to we want to fix it. But it was really hurtful because I didn't want to go into all the medical reasons why everything they said was false. Um, and as I was reading scripture, the Bible doesn't offer Christians false hope. And I'm so thankful for that. There are so many promises in scripture that we can hold back to God and say, You said this in your word. Now I want you to fulfill that. And that is promises that God will always give us his steadfast love. He will be present. He will never leave or forsake us. He um his presence in our lives this is great promise that doesn't mean that um that we're not going to walk through deep hard valleys um but he he will be with us um so i would want to tell people that and then i've been very intentional with when i've shared my story um it's been well over a decade at this point and i gave myself plenty of time to heal but i also wanted to tell it in the middle while i I'm very hopeful our adoption is successful. Um, I wanted to show and tell that God was good, even when you don't get the thing you long for and desire, um, that he's still good in that. And then I think really quickly, the third thing is um, we've read, we've read the end of the Bible. We know how our story ends as Christians and it ends with God wiping away our tears and taking away our pain. And so I think those, those things have been a comfort and that doesn't mean, you know, I don't have very, very, very hard days where, you know, a lot of my prayers echo the the frustrated prayers, like I see in the Psalms, but, um, but at the end of the day and at the end of my life, God's good.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and I, I just appreciate the, the fact that, that you're able to really just kind of talk honestly about, about the reality of the struggle. Um, and, and I think, you know, one of the, one of the things we do in pre-adoptive education with, mm-hmm. you know, with our families is we talk about, we talk about grief and loss. And, yeah. um, and I know, uh, for, for couples that are childless,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that then move toward adoption, um, you know, one of the, I think one of the most, Difficult and and maybe one of the most dangerous things is because because we've not worked through our own grief because we've not really fully kind of accepted and owned up to and pressed into mm-hmm. the fact that there really is loss because of you know infertility and childlessness and 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 all of that and that that we can sort of make ourselves inaccessible to our children because we're going to have to meet them in their grief. There are going to be things that they're going to have to work through in in their story. And, and, um, and I know like, that's very real to you Mm because that's, you know, that's, that's part of, you know, that's part of your story. But I I think um, we just want to be really intentional to say, you know, to say to families that, you know, part of, part of the journey is, is, is not, not glossing over and not, you know, not acknowledging our our grief in childlessness, but um, but but really digging into that and owning that, and 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 recognizing the goodness of God even in something that we wouldn't choose, mm-hmm. and in order to be in a healthy place, to to not hold conversations off or or to be inaccessible to our kids who are going to grow into questions and going to grow into thoughts that they're going to need to process. And some of those thoughts, like you said, are, are born of things that you just, you just can't know for certain. Yeah, Yeah. And so,
2: yeah, I'm such a big proponent of, like you said, coming to terms and healing from that. I mean, it's one of those things. I think there's always a scar, but you know, not stepping into adoption with that open wound of, of infertility, I think is yeah. beneficial to everyone.
1: Well, and I love, I love the fact that the perspective of your book and the reason for writing is in the, in the midst of, you know, in the midst of the journey. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you really almost kind of put down on paper, something that the part of the profound nature is, um, like you're never finished with it. Right. Like, like those are, those are things that we, you know, we kind of um, we bump into in unexpected ways and, and, and they, you know, and they, and they rise back up. And, but I think in, in parenting um, that part of the, you know, part of what you realize your role is, is to, you know, (laughs) sacrifice the, the not dealing with your own pain, you know, for the benefit of your, you know for the benefit of your child and 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 it and ultimately to your own good as well um but i would encourage and i'm i'm just going to put a shameless plug out there and say um if that's an issue that um that that you know strikes close to you or or someone that you know um Chelsea's book is an awesome resource and is um very you know very carefully done and very thoughtfully done and um, and and really is 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 very uh, thought provoking and introspective in nature. And I just um, I'm, gosh, I'm just a big fan of yours, Chelsea. That's that's <laughs> thank that's you. Really, it. You know, thanks,
2: Doctor Rick.
1: Um, so so we we talked about uh, you know just you and Michael and the the process of um, international adoption, and and obviously you're kind of coming at it with two different sets of experiences and all that. But um, what's, like, what's the process been like for the two of you as you walk through (laughs) it? I think I say that jokingly because, you know, we're all, like, it's a mixed bag, right? But what, how how has that been for you?
2: Well, shameless plug, we, long before (laughs) I joined staff, we are adopting through Lifeline. And I, we have, I'm biased. I think we have the best caseworker, at Lifeline, Um, she's absolutely (laughs) wonderful, Um, she's great. But yeah, we actually, COVID March 2020 was really what spurred a lot of the serious conversation of do we want to adopt internationally, domestically, adoption through foster care. Um, One of the first things we did was we prayed about it. And number two, we talked to people in our lives um, who had done all three different options, um, mm-hmm. and through those conversations and prayer, um, ultimately landed on international. I was biased that way, but I wanted to give Michael mm-hmm. the freedom to have a, a different opinion. Um, and then we had to choose a country, so that was kind of a process of, you know, practicality. India's timeline for in-country is is shorter than some other countries, and that was a big factor for us. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the biggest thing that – I I don't know if this surprised me, um, but just the questions people have asked us. And I'm thankful (laughs) they feel the freedom, but (laughs) some of the questions that people have asked us have really – Thrown me off, I guess is the best way, but I'm thankful to that people feel the freedom to ask because we can help educate and, you know, not everyone built their family through adoption. So it, not everyone it's funny. understands. Yes.
1: It's it's hilarious to me to hear you say that. And it's so true. I mean, we, mm-hmm. um, we've laughed for years that I, I think if there's ever a third book coming, my third book <laughs> is going to be just questions and ridiculous things that people have said.
2: I'll come write um, it with
1: you. <laughs> you know, like, right. Like, you, yes. But, but the fact is, I mean, I think, but I think that's an important thing to, mm-hmm. you know, to realize that um, sometimes for those of us that are, that kind of get swept up in this bubble, um, mm-hmm. it's it's easy to think that everybody really does understand and that everybody really does, you know, have a little more of a thoughtful, understanding of you know adoption and and Mm -hmm. vulnerable children and all that sort of thing and and just a lot of folks don't
2: Mm -hmm.
1: um and and i think that's that's why the work is so important i think that's why the the things that you're doing in dc are important because because those people also are making policy for our nation in some yes. cases <laughs> yes. and you know and are directing you know are directing agencies and and entities that have a lot of sway over um you know even even the process and the fact is that as an adoptive parent one of the things that you kind of sign up for whether you know it or not is is that you're you know you're kind of an, ed, an agent of a lot of people's uh, education along yes. the way
2: it's funny growing up, I, I saw some of this with my parents, my mom homeschooled all of us and we would go to the store, the grocery store in the middle of the day to avoid the crowds, but uh, you know, right after work or right after school got out and people would come up to her almost every trip, there's six of us, almost every trip to the grocery store and say, are all these kids yours? <laughs> Yeah. And she would always respond, no, I grabbed one in the parking lot. I got this one off file six. Like, of <laughs> course they're online. Uh, but it was interesting growing up hearing some of those questions of just, and how my mom handled it and now fielding, again, questions about our adoption process and um, I almost feel like I need to print a one pager and just start handing it to
1: people. <laughs> you know, and it and it is a really good source of just some self deprecating humor as well mm-hmm. in some of the situations you find yourself. in. our favorite story is um, in in the post office of all places. <laughs> and I was teaching at the time, teaching seminary at the time, and we actually ran into someone not one of my students, but a student mm-hmm. at the seminary. And my wife struck up a conversation with him, and Eric was probably almost four, four, right in that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and had the, the most syrupy, sweet, Mississippi accent, talked just like his mama, and so drew out every vowel,
0: and <laughs> he
1: said something. And, and the lady looked at Denise and said, oh, wow, is he from southern Ukraine? Straight up.
2: Wow.
1: Wow. you know and that's the that's the point where you just you you smile and you say hey don't like let's don't embarrass anybody right here but man we hee-hawed when we left it was uh it was pretty funny and uh, that's
2: good that's good you know
1: but but all of those things become you know kind of a kind of an incredible um educational opportunity and um and speaking of educational opportunities, so um, we are right in the midst of uh, coming off of the Sanctity of Human Life um, commemoration and, you know, this past Sunday and uh, very much uh, it's it's been a focal point, you know, in our nation, especially with the Dobbs ruling and all the things that have swirled around. And and so um, at this time, kind of in this, you know, this particular place, um, I I'd, I'd love for you just to talk a little bit about, um, as a believer today in the U.S., um, advocating for life. What are those things that we need to be praying toward, doing, active in, in order to to demonstrate our belief that life is created in the image of God?
2: I think LifeLine has done this well for a long, long time because of the nature of the Ministry of Lifeline, but the kind of traditional pro-life movement as we know it is taking steps in this direction of understanding and working towards and passing policies that not only protect the pre-born, we certainly want to do that, but also care for the mom, the dad, if he's in the picture, and the holistic family. Um, and care for vulnerable children, um, whether that is um, helping a mom make a parenting decision and wrapping around her as she does that, make an adoption plan if that's in her best interest and the child's best interest, and also um, caring for the kids who are in our, our U.S. foster care system. Um, so I, th- I think the the movement is taking steps in that direction. And I'm so thankful, but we really need to have a, a more holistic understanding of Of being pro-life and that certainly means protecting pre-born children in the womb but it doesn't stop there and it can't stop there um because all throughout scripture um you know just a, a few weeks ago was the the 50th anniversary of the roe v wade decision and this is the first year that it's it's in our in our past last year the supreme court reverse those disastrous precedents and send the issue of abortion back to the state. And we're so thankful for that. Uh, We are so thankful for the thousands and thousands of children that will be born because of that decision. Um, But it means we redouble our efforts, both at a federal level and at a state level um, and and in the church. And We seek to continue um, and redouble and renew our efforts to care for um, vulnerable women, children, and families. So Again, I think the movement is taking steps there, um, and I think that's that's where we ultimately need to head. Um, and I think Chris Johnson on our staff said this first, so I'm not going to steal it as my own. But <laughs> the thing I love about Lifeline so much is the church is the hub of all of our ministry, and I do policy and advocacy for Lifeline. I've been in. I think government has a very important role to play, but the church can be where the government can't and shouldn't be um mm-hmm. and that the church can be everywhere um in every single community throughout the US um meeting needs that again the government should should not be involved in um and at ultimately we can provide um we can meet um meet people with um a cup of cold water in the gospel of jesus mm-hmm. christ um and that's that a really 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 love that that is Lifeline's mission and Lifeline's carrying that out every single day.
1: Yeah. I think it's, it's always, it's always healthy to remember that in particularly as we talk about vulnerability and child welfare, that the government's responsible, but the church is more responsible because we've been delegated that responsibility from God and, Mm -hmm. and that we, we can't, we can't fall prey to um, taking a back seat and, and, and thinking that that is going to be done by someone else because God's given it to us because He He, he wants us to do it for His glory and and for um, you know for for His name and and I think you know it's 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 occurred to me and even just wrestling through the last couple of weeks as we were coming toward you know Sanctity of Life Sunday that um, in in many respects I'm afraid we've stopped and taken a deep breath. And, and have sort of said, wow, something like we won," or, or, or we, or, or, yeah. and, and the truth is, um, that something significant has happened, but, um, but nothing finally has happened and yes. we still have to, we still have to be on guard and we still have to work hard and, and, and we still have to advocate and, and to, and to do the work, um, probably harder than ever before and and I'm just really thankful. I'm thankful to um, that that you are a part of us, that you're in Washington, that you're advocating uh, the way that you are. I want to commend and just say to to folks that are listening to the podcast um, that Chelsea's an incredible resource and that's part of her role with our team. And so as as you're thinking about how you're trying to, um, advocate you're thinking about how you're trying to work, walk through these issues um, either in your own state or at a national level uh, reach out uh, because uh, she wants to connect and wants to be in a position to help the church uh, and to help you know those individual members within the church to to for us to use our voices well um, in, in order that uh, that we see policies and, and and see initiatives from government that, that ultimately um, align with our convictions and, and give us the opportunity to bring that sort of honor and glory to the Lord. Chelsea, thank you so much for taking some time to sit down and uh, we're going to do this again. So I'm just going to say right now, we'll, we'll determine a date in the future. We'll get, we'll dig into some policy issues and, and, and dig into some things um, with social and cultural issues, but I, I just appreciate you today taking an opportunity to, to just, um, Give a better introduction to the Lifeline family uh, for yourself, and and we're just incredibly uh, blessed and thrilled that you're you're a part of our team.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: You bet. Well, thanks again for listening to the Defender podcast. We, as always, we'll see you back here next week again, as uh, as we continue to uh, to advocate for uh, the the vulnerable child and the vulnerable family, and and to see.